0: Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this opportunity that we have to come apart from the cares of this life, to come together as a community of faith, to worship you this morning. Lord, we've been blessed in song, music, the giving of our tithes and offerings to you. And we pray that as we pause for a few moments to reflect on your word, that you would speak to us. For we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. I want to continue in our theme from last Sabbath, and we touched on Romans 7 and Romans 8. Romans 7, Paul says, I am carnal, sold under sin, and then he goes on in verse 15 and says, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, that I do. And all of us, if we're honest with ourselves, have something within us, two entities that are at war against each other, your conscience And then your carnal desires, the things that you want to do, you don't do, and the things that you hate, that I do. All of us can relate to addictions and habits, perhaps, in our lives that we hate, yet we do those. And then we say, I want to study my Bible. We want to do that, but we find ourselves not doing that. And here Paul ends Romans 7 by saying, who will deliver me from this body of death? And Galatians 5.17 says, the flesh desires what is contrary to the spirit, And the spirit, what is contrary to the flesh, they are in conflict with each other so that you do not do what you want. And so Paul calls this one entity the flesh, the other entity he calls the spirit. And Ellen White describes the flesh and the spirit in two other terms here from Adventist Home, page 127 and 128. The lower passions have their seat in the body and work through it. The flesh or fleshly or carnal embrace the lower corrupt nature the flesh of itself act contrary to the will of God all animal propensities are subject to the higher powers of the soul so we have these two things and i put them on the screen so that you can see what she's talking about here the higher powers that's the spirit conscience and reason the lower passions are appetite passion sexuality and she calls these the animal propensities and what differentiates human beings from animals is the prefrontal cortex reason conscience so when you have a desire your reason and conscience should kick in if we follow the conversion uh, path and sanctification but as a result of sin, this has been turned upside down, and every person born into this world has propensities, and this has become flipped upside down, where the lower passions rule over the higher powers of conscience and reason. Uh, this is from the book God's Amazing Grace, page 256. The higher powers of being are to rule, the passions are to be controlled by the will which is itself under the control of God. And all of us can relate to this on a very simple level of a meal. You've eaten a great Thanksgiving meal, and you've overeaten. None of us have ever experienced that, right? You've overeaten, and you forgot to make room for dessert, and then dessert comes around, and it's your favorite, and you have an internal battle that takes place. A part of you says, I want to eat it. I want to eat it right now. Serve me three pieces, please. And then another part of you indicates, David, you really shouldn't have that. You've overeaten. You should stop. And so this is very simple. An internal battle takes place on the level of appetite. She mentions another aspect to this. You have the higher powers and the lower passions, but you also have what you call the will. And this is the governing power in the nature of man. It is yours to exercise. And God has given you this. Praise the Lord. And what many people try to do in a situation such as appetite is that they try to use their willpower to subjugate the lower passions and decide through self-discipline and willpower to live in accordance with the higher powers. And we end up failing in this process. She says that the key is not to try to do this by yourself, by subjugating the lower passions and living in the higher powers, but she says to give your will to God. This is the struggle. This is the key. Steps of Christ, page 47. Everything depends on the right action of the will. The power of choice God has given to men. It is theirs to exercise. You cannot change your heart. You cannot of yourself give to God its affections, but you can choose to serve him. And here's the key. I have it underlined here on the screen. You can give him your will. He will then work in you to will and to do according to your good pleasure. Dessert comes around. You have the internal struggle. You say, Lord, I give you my will. That's the surrender that needs to take place. I give you my will. Then God works in us to will and to do of his good pleasure. So in the struggle between the flesh and the conscience, between the higher powers and the lower passions, we give our will to God. And there's something miraculous that happens. I can't explain it. It's a miracle of grace. You give your will to God, and then God empowers you through the Holy Spirit to live a victorious life. Romans chapter 7 is followed by Romans 8. There are no chapter divisions in the Bible. And in the continuation of this conflict between the flesh and the spirit, Romans chapter 8 begins with the word, therefore. Now, as one preacher said, if you see the word, therefore, ask what it's there for. In other words, you have premise, 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 therefore, in light of the conflict between the flesh and the spirit, he says, therefore, this is the solution for this internal battle that we face. There is now, therefore, no condemnation to those that are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. This is what happens. You give your will to God, God sets you free from the lower powers. The Holy Spirit, resurrection power, comes down into your life and gives you freedom from those lower passions. So you give your will to God. God empowers us through the Holy Spirit. He sets us free from the lower passions, and we all need that freedom in Christ Jesus. And then in Romans chapter 8, verse 3 and 4, Paul goes on by saying, For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, on the account of sin, He condemned sin in the flesh that the righteousness requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. So not only does God free you from the lower passions, but now He empowers you through the Holy Spirit to walk according to the higher powers, and not according to the lower powers. And this is where there is victorious Christian living in Christ Jesus. There is victory, amen, in Jesus. For every addiction, for every habit, for every tendency, whether inherited or cultivated, God is more powerful than your habits. Amen. You have to believe that. I believe it. The same God that spoke things into existence, can give you the victory, victory in your individual lives. And this is how it happens, through the Holy Spirit. So you give your will to God. He empowers you through the Holy Spirit, frees you from your lower passions, and gives you power to live a victorious life. This is what the Christian walk is about. Now, in the Christian walk, you have the tension of two verses. First John 1 John 1.9, if we confess, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Jude 24 now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. And those two realities stay with us in our Christian experience. If and when we fall, there's forgiveness. But there's also power to keep us from falling, Jude 24. And that beautiful pardon and power stay with us through our Christian experience. It's not about the occasional misdeeds. It's not about your track record. It's about your trajectory. Where are you heading in your Christian experience. Now, a common misconception in relationship to the higher powers and the lower passions is that after conversion or after baptism, some people assume that once you go down into the water or once you're converted, that your lower passions and your carnal nature suddenly evaporate, that you receive some sort of heavenly lobotomy. That side of the brain is taken out and you don't have to deal with that internal conflict anymore. I was quite surprised after I got baptized, came out the other side, woke up the next morning and said, oh, I still have this internal battle inside. And some people have assumed that if you struggle internally, that is evidence of being not converted. That is not true. The sinful nature stays with us until the second coming. At the second coming, you'll be given a new nature. Now, the difference is, that God enables to walk in the spirit and not in the flesh, even though our lower nature is still there. Now the lower nature involves the appetites and passions, and this is an entity that we still have to relate to as we have accepted Jesus and continue in our faith walk with him empowered by the Holy Spirit. That entity is still there. Now how do we relate to it? That is the question that we have to ask ourselves. And here in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, Paul, talking about his own Christian experience, Paul was converted, he wrote the majority of the New Testament, godly man is going to be in heaven. Notice what Paul said, as he relates to his carnal nature, his lower passions, he says that he relates to it a certain way. And I have it here from the NIV because the King James Version does not fully grasp the the intent of the original language in this case. He says, I strike a blow to my body. In the original language, what terminology he's using is is boxing language. And they did not box in those days like they do today with with padded gloves. They boxed with the equivalent of like brass knuckles. So he says, I strike a blow to my body. This is in his conversion experience relating to his carnal nature. He says, look, I strike a blow to my body and make it a slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. In other words, the way that Paul relates to his carnal sinful nature after conversion, in walking the Christian walk, is not to embrace the carnal nature, but to go through what he calls dying daily to the carnal nature. That's what he's describing here. The Christian walk involves a conflict. With your natural, sinful, carnal desires. And this is from the SDA Bible Commentary, commenting on 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27. It suggests the most rigid discipline and self-denial that must be exercised in order that victory may be gained over all corrupt passions of man's evil tendencies. The promptings and cravings of the natural, these are carnal, appetites and passions must be destroyed. This is possible only when the will is surrendered to Christ. Paul, in his Christian experience, says, I need to hold these things in check. And notice what he said at the end of the verse. If he doesn't, he says, even after preaching to others, I myself will be lost. Now, when we talk about the appetites and passions, I want to make this very practical here this morning. And talk about How do we relate to this very real thing that we all face at least two to three times a day when we decide to put food in our bodies? Now, notice you're walking in your Christian experience, but we need to relate to our appetites and passions in a certain way. And I want to cite some research, some of the latest research from some of our most premier universities and what they're finding about our gut, our stomachs and our digestive systems. This is from Johns Hopkins University, one of the most premier medical universities in the nation and the world. It says, hidden in the walls of the digestive system, this brain in your gut is revolutionizing medicine's understanding of the links between digestion, mood health, and even the way you think. Scientists call this little brain the enteric nervous system, otherwise known as ENS, and it is not so little. The ENS is two thin layers of more than a 100 million nerve cells lining your gastrointestinal tract. What medical research is discovering today is that there are more nerve cells in your digestive system than in the brain of a cat. And what they're indicating is that this is like the second brain down here. And they communicate with each other. And what research is discovering is that this communication goes both ways. This impacts the mood up here and this impacts digestion. I can tell you, being a public speaker, there have been times when I have gone up to speak, in the moments leading up to it, I remember I was at this one youth conference. There were 6,000 people in that audience. GC officials, the editor of the GC, NAD president. I mean, they're there, and little old me is called to speak for the divine service. And let me tell you, I'm waiting to get up there, and my stomach is just in, in knots indigestion and like why is that because what's happening here is impacting me here have you ever had a meal with someone and that person made you very upset and then you had indigestion as a result That's because these two brains are communicating with each other. Johns Hopkins University goes on, researchers are finding evidence that irritation in the gastrointestinal system may send signals to the central nervous system that trigger mood changes. In other words, if you eat something that doesn't agree with you here, it affects your mood up here. These new findings may explain why a higher than normal percentage of people with IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, and functional bowel problems develop depression and anxiety. The two brains talk to each other. So therapies that help one help the other. This is what the latest medical research is indicating. This brain affects the mood of this brain. And uh, here's an illustration from one of the scientific articles that I was reading through this week. The brain impacts the gut. The gut impacts the brain, while your gut is called the second brain. Let me read on. This is from the Cleveland Clinic, another premier medical institution. The second brain in our gut, in communication with the brain in our head, plays a key role in certain diseases in our bodies and in our overall mental health. This crosstalk communication between the brain and digestive system is opening up new ways to think about diseases. This last one is from Harvard Medical School. A troubled intestine can send signals to the brain just as a troubled brain can send signals to to the gut. Therefore, a person's stomach or intestinal distress can be the cause or product of anxiety, stress, or depression. That's because the brain and the gastrointestinal system are intimately connected. Now, I want to read a quote from a little lady in the 1800s. Here it is. So much for technology. What happened to my slide there? I brought it up here just for, just for reference here. Let me, let me read to you this quote. And uh, this is from the book, Councils on Health. Ellen White says, The brain and nerves are in sympathy with the stomach. Erroneous eating and drinking result in erroneous thinking and acting. Erroneous eating and drinking result in erroneous thinking and acting. And notice that, oh, there it is. It came up all of a sudden. Um, she says that these are in sympathy with each other. And so this is, this is, I mean, she, she, was, she was remarkably progressive and far in advance of the medical field back then. You remember, back in the 1800s, in her day, they, they prescribed smoking as being healthy. They were still bloodletting. To, to take care of these diseases. I mean, that was the state of medicine back in her day. And here, she is saying that there is a sympathetic relationship between your mental health and your gut health. These work in tandem with each other. Now, I want to make a very clear caveat here at the beginning. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 through 10, "'For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourself. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast.'" I want to make it very clear. We are not saved by what we eat. Praise the Lord. We are not saved by diet. We are not saved by being a vegan, vegetarian, card-carrying individual. You don't come to the pearly gates and flash your vegan card and say, come on in. That's not how salvation works. So I want to make this very clear because there has been... In the trajectory, as we have embraced temperance and health reform, which I am all in favor of, that we do not place it in the realm of placing it into meritorious for salvation. Are you following me? You don't earn your salvation in any form. It is a gift. Now, where does health and temperance play into the Christian experience if you don't earn salvation through diet? Now, the natural tendency for some individuals is when they say, look, if I don't earn my salvation through diet, oh, I can eat whatever I want. But Paul goes on in Romans chapter 12. Now, remember the book of Romans is all about the gospel. And in Romans 12, after he's gone through an exhaustive, in my estimation, description of the way that the gospel works through faith, he says, I beseech you, therefore. Remember, if you see the word therefore, ask what it's there for. Premise, 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 premise. Therefore, in light of the mercies of God, in light of what everything God has done for you through the gospel, he says that you present your what? Your bodies. A living sacrifice, not a dead sacrifice, not an anemic sacrifice, not an emaciated sacrifice. A living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. So this is where Paul places health appetite, these types of things. After you have experienced the mercies of God, the natural response of the person that has been so touched by the love of God is saying, Lord, because of everything that you've done for me, I give you my body. It's reciprocal. Because of what God has done for you, have you ever been touched by someone's love that you want to give everything of you? Here it is. God has done something for us. We are so touched by the love of God that we say, Lord, I give you everything. Matter of fact, I give you my body. I give you this to be your temple, to be your vessel. I give you this. And Paul says, therefore, glorify God with your body. So this is where it fits in. This is not Romans 1. This is not Romans 3. This is not Romans 5. This is certainly not Romans 6, 7, and 8. Romans 12, in response to what God has done for us, I give you my body. Not because I want to earn it, I've already received it. But in response to this gift, I give you this. Reciprocating what God has done. There's another aspect to this that Paul nuances in the text that we just read a few moments ago in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 27, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified from the prize. We are not saved by diet, but if our appetites become our God, we can be lost by it. Here it is, Philippians chapter 3, verse 19, they are headed for destruction Their God is their appetite. In other words, if we don't address the carnal nature and allow the Spirit of God to place it in its proper place under the control of conscience and reason and the Word of God, and if we feed the carnal nature, it will overtake us and lead to our destruction. There are certain things that we put in our bodies, and I'm not just talking about food, that feed the carnal nature. There are certain foods that feed our lower passions. And I believe they are designed specifically for that, to bypass conscience and reason and to feed that part of ourselves that the Bible is telling us, yes, there is power from above, but we need to cooperate with that power to hold that entity, our lower passions, in check. And this is a part of the Christian experience, the Christian walk. Here it is from Councils on Health, page 574. The controlling power of appetite will prove the ruin of thousands. When, if they had conquered on this point, they would have had moral power to gain the victory over every other temptation of Satan. Look, if you can control this by the grace of God, you can control anything. The power of the palate, The power of appetite. Adam and Eve, it was on appetite. Jesus, the first temptation, was on appetite. And this is where it begins. Sanctifying Life, page 23, indulgence of appetite strengthens the animal propensities, giving them ascendancy over the mental and spiritual powers. Let me tell you, when I was growing up as a young child, my parents noticed immediately that when they fed me certain types of food, I became a little monster. I mean, it was so apparent. I would eat a certain type of diet, and it would come out in my attitude and behavior. And so my parents, for about 15, 16, 17 years, because of the challenges they had with me, went on this journey for their child. Because they recognized the sensitivity that I had to certain types of food would come out in, in all types of aberrant behavior. And as they went on this journey, they recognized the relationship between this and this. And we're living in an age today where the gospel message is being presented that says, look, you are saved in Jesus Christ, but it doesn't matter what you put in his temple. That is the type of message that's being presented today. But the gospel, according to Paul, is that the response of every Christian to the grace of God is saying, Lord, I give you my body to you as a living sacrifice. I want to glorify God through this. That is the response of the Christian. And as we feed the appetites and passions, what happens is that overtakes our nature to where those things rule, reason, and conscience. And that leads us down the path to destruction. Now, I want to add in here Proverbs 4, verse 18. But the path of the just is as the shining light that shineth more and more until the perfect day. What is Solomon saying here? The path of the just, the Christian experience, is like the rising of the sun. It's progressive, incremental, and gradual. And this is what we need to recognize in our Christian experience, specifically as it relates to appetite and diet. This is what God is calling you to do. You're not to be the vegan police. Amen. Amen. Are you following me? Okay? In other words, every person's journey in the sanctification experience is different. So what God is calling me to do may may or may not be what God is calling you to do where you are in your Christian experience. And the thing is, not where we are, but that we are faithful where we are. I remember I was dealing with a group of theology students. I was interim teaching. And I got up there, and I I knew this group, so I kind of set them up. I I stood up there, and I was teaching, and I said uh, all right, let's, let's talk about issues and non-issues when it comes to baptism. All right? Let's say a person has margarine in their refrigerator. And I really pumped it up. I said, margarine, trans fatty acid. I mean, those things, that thing's really bad. It doesn't exist naturally in your body. It goes in there and does all types of things. You know, margarine its not the best. And let's say you go in a home, and they're clear on all the other fundamentals. They're ready for baptism, but you open their refrigerator and you notice that there's margarine in the refrigerator. I said, would you baptize them? And a couple of these brothers raised their hand and said, I would not baptize them. And I about, I started laughing almost because I thought that they were joking, but they were dead serious. And friends, we cannot place these things in the same category as our fundamental beliefs. They are not, they are not, when it comes to going above and beyond toward the ideal diet, if you know what I'm talking about here, all right? And so we need to recognize that our walk is individual and what God is calling me to do may or may not be what God is calling you to do, and it's a trajectory here. So here, when it comes to diet, there are certain things that are forbidden in the Bible. The Bible says you should not eat of these things. You know, when you get a car, there's a manual. God has given us the manual. You get a vehicle. What type of oil? What type of fluids? You know, what is the tire pressure? And so the manual is telling us, look, these things, if you put them in your body, your body will not operate properly. So the Bible says, look, don't put these things in your body. You can read about it in Leviticus chapter 11. There are certain things that are forbidden. But then in the Bible, God gives you something, some things that are permitted. These are acceptable when it comes to diet then the Bible presents to you the Edenic diet, the ideal diet. And what God wants to do in our individual walk is to bring us from the forbidden to the permitted and then to the ideal. I was preaching a sermon on this, and I said, I have news for you, friends. There's going to be no stake in heaven. One person said, David, I don't believe that. Heaven won't be heaven without steak. Even the lion will be vegetarian, friends, in heaven. There's going to be no killing in heaven. So so that's where God wants to lead us. We're all going to eventually get there. But there's a process to this. And believe you me, God gives us a lot of grace through this journey in our sanctification experience. Our sanctification is individual. And we have no business judging someone because they are not where we think they should be. That's their walk and their journey. You be faithful to the Lord Jesus where you're at, but walk in the light. That's the important thing to recognize when it comes to, to these matters. Let me see here. All right, this is an important principle as we wrap up here. John chapter 12, verse 35, walk while you have the light. God gives us light individually, personally. The important thing is to walk. Take the next step. And the light that God has given you personally in regards to your lower passions and appetite is very personal and it's very different than the person that is sitting next to you. The important thing is, are you being faithful to the Lord Jesus to walk? Just walk. And as you take the next step and the next step and the next step, he will continue the journey of grace in regards to these areas. I wanna close with this quote, Steps of Christ, page 47. Many are inquiring, how am I to surrender of myself to God? You desire to give yourself to him, but you are weak in moral power, in slavery to doubt, controlled by the habits of your life of sin. Your promises and resolutions are like ropes of sand. You cannot control your thoughts, your impulses, your affections. What you need to understand is the true force of the will. This is the governing power in the nature of man, the power of decision or of choice. Everything depends on the right action of the will, the power of choice God has given to men. It is theirs to exercise. You cannot change your heart. You cannot of yourself give to God its affections, but you can choose to serve him. You can give him your will. Thus your whole nature will be brought under the control of the spirit of Christ. Let us pray. Father in heaven, We thank you that we're saved by faith in Jesus Christ. That nothing we can or cannot do can earn our salvation. We also thank you that when we're so touched by the love of God that we respond by reciprocating, by saying, Lord, I give you my body. Lord, help us to glorify you with our bodies. Help us to please you and to present ourselves as a living sacrifice to you. And Father in heaven, today, if there's someone here that wants to say, Lord, there's an area of my life that you're calling me to surrender. There's an area of my life that I need to lay on the altar, and I want to give you permission. I want to give you my will. I want to invite you to come forward this morning. You don't have the assurance of tomorrow. I want to invite you to come forward this morning. If there's something in your life that God is calling you to surrender this morning while you hear His voice and you want to say, Lord, I want to lay this area on the altar before you, I want to invite you to come forward here this morning. I surrender all. All to Jesus, I surrender. And there's an area of your life that God is saying, This area. You can't do it by yourself. But there's all power in heaven and on earth that can give you that power right now. You can say, Lord, help me to be willing to be made willing. And there's an area of your life that you want God to surrender. God bless you, sister. God bless you, brother. I want to invite you to come forward. All to Jesus I surrender. All to him I freely give. Surrender is a gift. It's not something that you manufacture. Surrender is a gift. And you want to say, today, Lord, it's yours. I can't do this by myself I want to lay this before you this morning Father you see these individuals that have come forward it's a physical act to come forward that's a confirmation of a spiritual decision this morning and Lord they've come forward I believe by faith that the Holy Spirit with resurrection power is able to give us new life right now This morning. And we receive it by faith, regardless of the way that we may or may not feel. For we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org dot org